Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Oh man, you're back. I'm so excited. Man, uh yeah, we left Moses. He was he was in a tough spot. He had a God who loved him, who was uh, full of hope and joy and encouragement. And even after that, even after talking with God, he was like, what's the point of being so hopeful if no one will listen? Because if they won't listen, clearly they're not going to follow me. What's going on? And I love the fact that God can hear that. He doesn't get offended by it. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't get argumentative like, I am God. Shut up and do what you're told. He doesn't ask us to exchange one form of slavery for another. This is something that a lot of Christian Christians do, right? They, they present the gospel in such a way that it's like, it's free, it's a gift, and as soon as you get saved, then you get to serve another master, but he's a good master because even though he'll beat you and possibly kill you for being arrogant, infidels, fools, He'll also let you into heaven because, you know, you received him as faith. Or possibly you might have to work a little hard. Or, like, there's all these options, right? And then and then the people who talk about God's grace and his willingness to forgive and his openness to of heaven for all those who, who believe and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved and they receive a new nature and they receive the mind of Christ. All those verses are like, yeah, 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 whatever. You get all that when you get to heaven, but here on earth, it's a struggle, and you need to obey your leaders, and you need to follow our, our, you know, our vision, and you need to serve and serve and serve and beg God not to kill you and beg God to forgive you and beg God to not uh, give you cancer or break your leg or something like that because of the things you're, you've even thought about, let alone the things you've done, because he holds all your sin against you, even though he's forgiven it all. He still, rem- you know, like, and it just gets all kind of, I well, obviously I get, I get worked up over it. And part of the reason, as you know, that I get worked up over it is I used to preach that kind of stuff. I used to manipulate people down the aisle. I used to get them saved. And for what? To, in essence, go into bondage again, which cannot be the heart of God because Jesus never enslaved anyone. It's it's a fascinating thing. Now, you say, well, then you don't have to do anything? No, you don't. You don't have to. Will you? Absolutely you will. Why? Because you love God and he loves you. You ever seen two people in love? What won't they do for the other one? What won't they do? And as soon as either one of them feels manipulated or controlled by the other one, right, the relationship begins to fall apart because no loving relationship does that. It's always, always something that brings freedom and life and hope and joy. That's what love does. So it is fascinating to me how many times people talk about a loving God and then also turning turn him into a manipulative control freak who will kill you or maybe give you cancer, possibly COVID, if you don't behave yourself. But he'll also heal you because he's a, such a nice God. But he may kill you, but he'll also resurrect you. Like, it's just, it's just ridiculous. 
So Moses has this conversation with God, and in, at the end of it, he's like, but I still don't get it. And and God, I think in his mercy and his beautifulness, looks at him and he says, all right, <laughs> listen, Moses, I've made you like, like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be like your prophet, and you will say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron will tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. I mean, that's, that's, just, that's just beautiful. This is God looking at his, his precious child, Moses, who's fresh off of feeling rejected and confused and, and just not really looking forward to the next steps. And he's like, listen, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm with you. I may not have full access because of the things that Pharaoh has worshipped and given access to, but I do have the ability, I do have the ability to be with you because you've given me access to you and I am going to come alongside you and you are going to seem like a God in his eyes. In the end, he, and, and by that, he's basically saying, you are going to be such a reflection of me in his eyes that he's going to sit back and go, Wow. That guy is connected to God. He's, he is a God. Now, remember, Pharaoh considers himself a God because he represents his God here on earth, and he speaks for his God here on earth. He's saying, you're going to be just like that to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going to recognize who you represent, and he will bow to it. Just like Pharaoh has already said to Moses, listen, I can't, I can't obey what your God has to say. I don't even recognize your God. God, the Lord is saying to Moses, I'm so going to flip the tables that he is actually going to look at you and say, wow, you're a God. In other words, you're just as big as I am and bigger. Your God's bigger. I recognize your God. Moses also gets to go there with Aaron because when God, God is not a God who says, listen, deal with it. Go alone. You're my rep. He's like, no, all right, let, let, let's, let's get your brother in here. You're going to be like a God. He's going to be like your prophet. You're going to be like the, the, the representation of me, and he's going to be like, the, like your prophet. It's, it's, you guys are going to work together, but you're still the leader, Moses. Remember that. I've always called you to be the leader, and I'm not, I'm not reneging my call, but he's also not hard-nosed about how it has to look. God is incredibly adaptable and flexible because he is who he is. He's love. And he's full of hope. And he doesn't need everything to be manipulated at, like a puppet master in order for his will to be done. He's like, I can, I can handle, I'm, I'm the God of all possibilities. Every choice you could ever make, my goodness is still there. It doesn't matter. The results are the results. You reap what you sow, but I'm still good. And I'll still be there. I mean, how how many, <laughs> how many, I'll just, I'll just begin pick on the pastors. How many pastors have made horrible decisions when it comes to the kingdom of God, but something good turns out of it, and they're like, see, God was in it. And God's like, well, <laughs> that was your choice, and you might have some uh, you might have some results there you need to pay for, but I'm still good. Yes, I'm still good. It doesn't mean that what you did was good. It just means I'm good, and that's all I want you to remember. So Moses gets uh, Aaron gets to go with Moses. 
Uh, they're not going to be seen as being deceptive. They're not going to be seen as killers. Uh, they're going to be seen as as representations of who God is, a loving, kind, awesome God who wants his people to be free. He also wants Egypt to be free. Remember that. The invitation is for both nations. It's The invitation has always been that God wanted his people to bring all nations into alignment with the kingdom of God. So that, that desire hasn't left. That plan is still in place. And I think it directly involves uh, Egypt at this time. All right, verse 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I may multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I, lay, I will lay my hand at, on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people of, of the, Israel, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Oh, man. Yeah, you know, I read, this, I read this passage, and you guys know how passionate I am about the goodness of God. And I read this passage, and it's like, oh, man. Lord, you got yourself a problem here because I'm reading... I'm reading the translations of Hebrew and Aramaic into Latin, into the Vulgate, into, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, and ultimately all the way through multiple translations here in English to this translation now, and you've got a problem because I'm reading the Word of God, and it says that you're a horrible person. And uh, then we do what we do at the at the at the epic narrative. We break it down and we check it out and we deal with it. So God says, "Listen, I I I know all the possible ways that Pharaoh will go on this, and I understand who he is, and I know him very well. He's my child. I love him deeply. Uh, but." He is not going to want to give up. I don't, you know, I'm going to give him the option to choose. I don't think he's going to choose it. I think he's going to go with his gut, which unfortunately means he's going to choose against me. That doesn't mean that he is hardening his heart. Because what it, you know, because that's not a game God plays. It means Pharaoh will not want to give up. He's not going to want to give permission to another God to oversee a nation of people that that he, the Pharaoh, currently oversees. He's not going to want to do it. And I understand that. Now remember, Moses is writing this years later from his perspective. He wants, he wants everyone to think that God is not a God you want to mess with, which is true. You don't. Love is an incredibly powerful force. And from his perspective, God must have made Pharaoh do this. But it's not the, in the character of God because we don't see it in the character of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus doesn't go about hardening, hardening people's hearts so he can beat the snot out of them in the name of, of love. He can't, he can't do it. God doesn't play with people's hearts. This God, knowing his creation in every possible way, result of every possible choice he knows pharaoh well enough 
He sees what's going to happen. So it's not his plan to hurt Pharaoh and kill the Egyptians, but he also understands it is going to happen. The odds are highly in favor of this happening. So his plan is to expose the enemy and hope in exposing the enemy's true desires, Pharaoh will choose differently because God always hopes and he always loves and he always provides a way. He says, I, when it says, uh, he will not listen to you, I will lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment. I will bring out, you know, my divisions out of Egypt, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, and the Egyptians will know that I am Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the, the, the Israelites out of it. He's, we'll deal with judgment in a minute, but, but what he's saying is, I'm going to expose the enemy. I'm going to expose to the leadership and the people of Egypt, they're going to know the things that they've been worshiping are the things that are killing them, the things that are bringing them disease, the things that want them to die. I'm going to expose that because that's what love does. It brings light into darkness and it shows everyone what's going on. Is that the hand of God causing people to die? I don't think so. Because at any time, at any exposure, all Pharaoh has to do is, is, is choose to let the people go worship God. That's all he has to do. He can shut off this exposure at any time and allow people who who do you know who are who are God's people, allow God's people, I should say, to go into the wilderness to worship God. And then he can choose to follow that God as well because he will see the mighty acts of God and what happens when a nation worships him and the way that they're provided for and the way that they are positioned and the way that God shows favor to them. Because, because God knows what the odds are, he's like, I, I'm pretty confident I know what's going to happen here. I don't want it to happen. But in the end, in the end, everyone's going to know. Everyone's going to know what's going on here because I want everyone to be free. I want Pharaoh to choose differently. I hope, I hope you know, all we have to do is one miraculous sign and Pharaoh will choose differently. But if not... If my miracle doesn't work, then the exposure of the enemy, I hope, will work because I am always filled with hope. So we have to figure out what this word judgment is because it looks, you know, from, from, from Western culture and mostly from Protestant culture, well, actually, religious culture, right? Judgment means basically death at some point. Now, God might stretch it out a little bit and torture you for a while, but ultimately, he's going to judge you. He's going to kill you for not choosing him when he first asked. But judgment is from the word judge, and it means in front of someone who who will see the facts and the truth and it will all be revealed. That's what it means. That, it, that the facts and truth will all be revealed in front of. So God is saying, my judgment is to expose the truth 
of the deceptive idols and help Pharaoh to see the true nature of the lies that he's been believing, of the lies that he's been uh, uh, regarding idols and their power and their intention and their authority. I want to expose all that. That's the judgment of God. I'm going to expose the deception and I'm going to let them see the true nature so that all of these idols lay fully exposed until Pharaoh chooses differently. And he could, he could choose to do that on the first round. It doesn't matter to me. But that's my judgment. That's God's judgment. Pharaoh will be given a choice always. He will always be given the freedom of choice. Even though God knows with 99.9999% security that Pharaoh will not choose to follow the uh, God but and to let the people go, but he will continue to choose his idols and choose his gods over, over Yahweh. God says, listen, I know, but I still have to give him that choice. Listen, if God wanted to strong-arm Pharaoh, there's just no reason. There's no reason to stretch this out. God wants to judge the enemy. He wants to, he wants to expose the lies. He wants to expose the heart of the enemy. Judgments do not equal punishment. Now, it does in our culture, right? No justice, no peace, no justice, no peace. Like they, if we, you know, if, if you won't punish them, we will, basically is what that chant is. We'll, we'll burn their, their, you know, we'll burn their businesses. We'll, we'll camp out in the, you know, on the streets. We'll, we'll, we'll burn the police department, like whatever, whoever they're mad at, Right. You won't bring them to justice. We will. We're the judge now. <sighs> but but it does. Uh, sorry, punishment is what our culture looks at when it comes to judgment, right? A judge issues his judgment. In other words, you will be sentenced. This is the judgment of the court. Now, that word is different. It's different in the original languages of the Bible. To judge is to form an opinion based on facts and truth. To have the truth presented and allow either a jury or a judge to see all the truth and then for them to make a judgment about it. This is, this is what we're talking about when God says, uh, in mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions and my people. In other words, in mighty acts of exposure, I'm going to allow the truth to be presented and for the people to see and make a judgment. Not just Pharaoh, I'm going to expose it for all the world so that everyone knows what they've been, what they've been worshiping and what the true intent of these idols have been. In its own way, God is going to reveal the character of the idols as well as his own. And he is going to be inviting Pharaoh and the people of Egypt to choose Yahweh and worship the true God. And how's he going to do that? Because even though for all their faults in the decisions that they've made to stay in Egypt, 
Israel has, Israelites, Hebrews, have maintained their worship of Yahweh. They didn't understand him as relational. They had turned him into a master, just like just like their other masters. But in their own hearts, they were worshiping God. And because they did not worship idols, and they didn't intermarry, and they they maintained this this uh, this separation, that that it, uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm stumbling. That that choice, those choices kept access of the enemy away from them, therefore giving God the ability to protect them from the judgments, from the revealing of the truth that God was going to bring to everyone else. So not only was he going to reveal the truth to all of Egypt and the Pharaoh about who they worshipped and what they you know, had opened themselves up to, he was also going to reveal the, the, his character by protecting those who had worshipped him. And he wasn't doing that as a, as a way of saying, ha-ha, in your face, I'm going to protect my people, and I'm going to kill you, you infidel, you fool, you proud and haughty people. No, he's like, I'm going to protect those who worship me. Guess what? I'll protect you if you worship me. And that's the beauty of what God's offering here, not just Pharaoh, but the people of Egypt. He's saying, worship me. And this is what happens. I protect you. I don't try to kill you. I don't try and wipe you out. I'm not like the like the gods that you worship. And that's really one of the main things God's trying to communicate through this whole thing. Verse 5, And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. The country is going to experience and hear about the character and the plans of the enemy. They will also see the protection and leadership uh, that, that God gives to the Hebrews. The Hebrews are going to learn that they've entrusted their future to this leadership in Egypt that shouldn't they shouldn't have. They're going to realize, you know, we kept waiting for for. Egypt to be our savior. We kept looking for politics to change, the government to change so that we would be more comfortable again, that we could go back to the day of, of Joseph and of you know Jacob and and the Reuben and all the tribes of Israel. Like they, we want to go back to that time. And God's like, no, you need to go back to the land that I promised you. And that's who you need to be entrusting, the God who called you and your fathers, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I called them out. I have a covenant with them. This is what Moses has been telling them. Every time he speaks to them, he has reminded them again of the covenant. He's like, this is where we should be. We should be in the promised land. So the Hebrews are going to have to learn that they can trust God, that they should not put their trust in the, in the governments of man. They probably have some things to realize about what they gave up in order to be comfortable, in order for convenience, in order to try and not generate hate toward them, right? They don't like being the, the butt of all the jokes. They don't like being discriminated against. They don't like, uh, you know, uh, being profiled when they walk down the street. They don't like being marked as the oddballs with whatever, the armbands they had to wear or the, or the uh, 
the head headbands they had to wear. They didn't like that. They wanted they wanted just to be left alone. And God's like, you gave up an awful lot. This is something that that God's judgments are going to also reveal. They put their faith and trust in a flawed system and in flawed people. Not that God can't use flawed systems in people, but that's who they put their trust in. They didn't put their trust in God to work out the details. They put their trust in people and they gave an awful lot of freedom up. Now he says, I'm going to be bringing them out. I will stretch out my hand against Egypt and I will bring the Israelites out of it. Bringing the, bringing the Israelites out had way, it's way more than just a, a physical walking, you know, out, outside the borders of this country. There, there was a, when you're, when you're enslaved, it involves way more than just your physical being. You are emotionally also in bondage. They were attached to this land of Egypt, 400 years. I mean, you think people get patriotic about, you know, 200 years or 250 years or whatever it is going to be here in America. It, it's, this is, this is crazy how attached they are to this land. 400 years they've been in this land. They have tons of experiences, history, a long history, a, a heritage of histories. Of people, their people are buried here. By the thousands, their relatives, I'm guessing many of them never thought that the promised land was Canaan anymore. They, they probably had religiously moved it out of Canaan to wherever they were, that they were the people of God and the land that they existed in was the promised land. So they probably weren't even thinking they had to go back to the promised land. God needed to... to draw them out to bring out the Israelites out of all the things that they were attached to there in Egypt. Financially, financially, they were, they were incredibly indebted. They had spent and bought and developed so much of the land that they lived in. And they had lost it all. And they would like that back. There's no one I know that, that has lost an investment that at some level would love to re, regroup or recount, not recount, regroup, recoup. Thank you. And Bob's like, come on. Uh, to recoup their losses. I mean, they, they, yeah, it happens all the time. Investors do it all the time. They lose money, they gain money, but in the end, what do they ultimately want? They want to make up for their losses. They want to ultimately recoup everything and having, you know, they want to leave with, on the on the positive. Their housing was all in Egypt. It didn't matter that there was slave housing. It's theirs. It's what they it's what they consider, you know, personal. Philosophy of leadership. How do you how do you run a country? How do you how do you run a, a business? All of that was now Egyptian. In so many ways, it had infiltrated the way that they approach things. How you run your family dynamics. Remember, when you're a slave nation, right? And they probably have been completely a slave nation for the last hundred years. 
They've been in Egypt for 400 years. So in a slave nation, everything's done on a hierarchical system. You got Pharaoh down to, you know, through the, through the, super, the, the co-governors, the, the, uh, the taskmasters, the overseers, the regular Egyptians. You got all that going on. And then within the culture of the Israelites, you have the, the, the priests and the Levites, and you have the elders, those who oversee each tribe. And then that trickles down to the families where leadership is really the ones who are most powerful, which generally was the male. They were considered the life givers and the life takers. So people in charge were people who could give life and people who could take your life. And that was a mindset that they had to get, you know, that the Lord had to lead them out of. Because that's the way they viewed God. He's the life giver and the life taker. You better obey or you'll die. And if you do obey, you get to live another day to make sure that you obey so you don't die. This was these these were all areas that they needed to be led out of Egypt or Egypt, you know, they needed to, their Egypt out of them. Even how to live as neighbors. When you're in a slave community, everything's about survival. You hoard Every, every advantage you can get, every extra piece of grain, every piece of cloth, every, I mean, every good box, you know, every, every uh, ceramic container, anything that you can obtain to make your life better, you do it. You don't share. You keep everything to yourself. And, and listen, I, I know that there are many poor nations where people do share, they love each other, and I understand that. And I'm not taking that away from all the Israelites. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm just saying, generally speaking, in a slave nation, you you hoard any benefit you can to yourself to try and survive another day, because that's the goal. Survival. You find, you just find a way. You find a way to survive. You find you work hard. You get beaten, but you come home and you work hard again. You got to get the water. You got to find the grain. You gotta, you gotta beg for this. You gotta try and barter for that. You gotta find something. Did it, did you pick up something on the way, you know, on the side of the road that you can barter for something that might make your life easier? This is all stuff that you do all the time. And there's an entire economic system. If you want to call it black market system, we've seen it in you know so many movies, dystopian movies, where where it's like, yeah, they don't have any money, but they have a way to exchange goods. They have thing, they have ways to get what you want. That is all going on within a slave nation, and God's like, I need to lead them out of Egypt. There are many things that have to come out of Egypt and be renewed. And be renewed, not in a way of like, let's do it better, but let's do it like God. And I know it's going to sound a little weird, and we'll get into it in a few chapters here, but that's what the law was supposed to help them do. The law was not designed to be a religion. The law was, was designed to give them principles to learn to live like heaven on earth. It was not designed or given 
in a way that that was was supposed to turn into what it turned into. That's what Jesus taught us. He's like, it's it's it, we got to put an end to this once and for all. Even the sacrificial system is thrown out there because God's because they demanded a different way to approach God. They didn't want to come personally. And more on that in a future episode. But there was a lot about Egypt that needed to come out of these guys. Even, even though they had done their best to not give in to the philosophies of Egypt, to not to not succumb to the, you know, by intermarrying and and being taught uh, all that Egypt had done. You just you're just there. When you're in a culture, it's very hard not to be influenced by it. And when you're slaves, you're naturally going to turn into very selfish beings, survival instincts, and leadership. Leadership is always out to kill you if you don't obey them. They experience that literally every day. And so it would be very natural to put that on God and Moses and Aaron. If, if we don't obey you, you're going to kill us. It's a, it's a, it's a deep-seated bondage, way more than just walking out of a particular country. So it says that uh, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now this was, this kind of is a reminder that this is just beginning. Moses is 80 it's and, and his brother's 83. So they are old, not almost dead, just old. And they go in to talk to Pharaoh. What that means is this, what God's reminding us of this, what the story here is saying is this encouragement from the Lord was enough to get Moses to take the next step. He was not truly convinced, I don't think, of who he, of, of the identity. He was not truly comfortable with what God had called him to be as a leader of the people yet. He's learning. God's guiding him. God's shepherding because he's a wonderful counselor and an and a incredible shepherd. And he's helping Moses as he goes because that's what God does. He walks with us. He gives us this pep talk. He brings an understanding of what he's trying to do. He's like, listen, guys, this is what we're trying to do. I understand that, you know, the Pharaoh's probably going to harden his heart. He, I, I understand. I know the odds of this. But we're going to keep giving him a choice by judgment. Judgment, I'm going to keep exposing the lies that he's believing. I'm going to keep exposing what the enemy's true purposes are. And in that exposure, I hope he continues uh, you know, that he'll take the choice and worship me instead. But as I expose the lies and the nature of the things he's worshiping, he, I'm also going to reveal to him my goodness and, and power and my, my protection and my provision and my light because, because you are going to be like me in front of him. And after all of this, Moses is like, all right, I'll take the next step. I'll go and talk to Moses. Uh, I'll go and talk to Pharaoh. I'll go. I mean, when you're done talking with God, honestly, that's, 
you can't help but at least take one more step. You just got to. Because he's so good. And he's so loving. And he's so filled with joy. And so much hope. That even though everything within your old mindset says, don't do it, you'll be rejected. You get done talking to him, it's like, all right, well, okay, I don't, maybe I won't do the whole thing, but I'm at least going to take the next step. And that's what it says. They went and spoke to Pharaoh. They took the next step. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will lead us to the next episode of the Epic Narrative. Take the next step, everyone. Follow after his goodness. Trust me, he is amazing at what he does when it comes to shepherding and guiding one another. I'll, I'll catch you next week on The Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. All right. Here's some thoughts. I I listened to that. I, I, I don't know. I, I think I sounded clumsy. Not, I don't know. I wasn't necessarily super, in my head, super clear with what I said when it came to judgment. So here's some thoughts on that. So the judgment of God, we often associate with some form of violence, uh, because in some cases, that's all we've ever been told. And in some cases, that's the way we, we have experienced judgment. Judgment from parents, coaches, teachers, um, the tax, IRS, the <laughs> whatever. The, uh, we, we experience, you know, a judge bringing down the law on us. And we say, oh, see, that's judgment. But here, I hope what you caught was this, that the judgment of God was and is the laying out of everything for, for exposure so that everyone gets to see what's, what's the truth is. And in some ways, I think that's what's been going on in the world for a while uh, here, <laughs> if you... Whether you believe in the conspiracy theories or not, there's just been a lot of exposure of underlying philosophies and goals and, uh, you know, uh, really two sides, two ideas of how the world should be run, whether under a world government with a world currency or freedom of people. But that's another whole thing with hours of thoughts. So we're not going to go down that road. But I... I, you know, I grew up thinking that God wanted to judge Egypt by destroying them and killing all the people. I don't think that was his, ever his goal. I think, I think his, his hope was that the light of his, of his people, the favor and blessing that he brings to his people would expose the true meaning, the, the true meaning, the true nature and goals of the enemy, that the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy Egypt. And that if, if Egypt would get behind um, Moses, would support and, and in essence uh, align themselves with Yahweh, then Egypt could be saved as well. 
because God was showing over and over and over again, or will show, sorry, I got ahead of myself. He's going to show over and over and over again that he is more powerful than the, than the, the demons and principalities and, and idols that Egypt worships. And so the judgment of God isn't about guilt and shame and destruction and death for anybody who crossed the line. The judgment of God is, let's lay it all out here so that we can actually understand and deal with the truth. And then we can turn, i.e. repent, we can turn away from those things that are evil and turn toward things that are good. And that's my prayer for everyone, that we would all continue to choose the good, to continue to choose the light. And, you know, honestly, we should, we should want judgment because it's, we're inviting the God of love and hope and joy to come in and expose what's going on so that it can be removed. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing bad about that. Anyways, uh, I, I hope you caught that. If not, maybe you'll catch it in my thoughts. Um, have yourself a great day. I'll see you guys next week. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.